sermon series has been the connection between Moses and Jesus, right? We're trying to see Jesus as Moses 2.0. This is how the gospel of Matthew frames the details of Jesus that he gives. There are so many things about Jesus' life we don't get. So many things, right? We get these little snippets. Baby Jesus, and then the 30-year-old Jesus, right? How, how are you supposed to know how to live? You're 10. It would be nice to know how 10-year-old Jesus was, and I'm sure he made Mary's life miserable. You, these, are all detail, these are all details I would like, Nina. You're right. But, we, but here's, the, here's the thing, but we don't get them. The Bible doesn't tell me all the stuff I want to know. It only tells me the stuff I need to know. And so these details get lost. And Matthew selectively chooses these details of Jesus' life that connect him to Moses. Because Matthew's audience is skeptical of Jesus. They're Jews and they're like, really? Is that guy the Messiah? They love Moses. They're skeptical of Jesus. So by Matthew framing Jesus in terms of Moses, it makes them more trusting, right? It makes them say like, oh, maybe this Jesus guy isn't so bad because he's so much like Moses. So for instance, their births, very similar, right? We've talked about this. They both have to go through the water to become uh, to take on the call of God. They both get tempted in the desert. Uh, they both give the new law, whether it's Moses on Mount Sinai or the Sermon on the Mount with Jesus, right? They're both lawgivers. Um, last week, we talked about that they're both coming to set us free in various ways, to liberate, to break every chain. Today, I want to think about the two of them in terms of the promised land, or we might think of it in our terms now, the kingdom of God. And this very strange reality for both, Moses does crazy stuff for God. I mean, like, I'll just leave my nice, comfortable, safe life, and I'm going to go on a suicide mission to tell Pharaoh to let all the slaves go. He does it. Oh, just walk across that ocean. You'll be fine. Okay, he does it, right? Weird stuff. Oh, don't worry. Hit the rock. Water will come out. He does it. And yet, in spite of all of that, he doesn't get into the promised land. Moses doesn't get there. That's weird. We're going to talk about that a lot today. So Jesus does a lot. Jesus uh, in the garden is so distraught. He's been betrayed by one of his friends. Others have neglected him. They've fallen asleep. He's begging God not to have to go to the cross. And in the end, he says yes, right? He says yes to like sacrificial love. And Jesus, in his death and in his teachings and his resurrection, still hasn't seen the fulfillment of God's kingdom. The last time I checked, we still die. The world is still unjust. Things aren't right, correct? People still walk across State Street and get hit. Like, the kingdom is inaugurated by Jesus. The kingdom it starts. We're sort of to pick up the mantle to continue it, and yet it's not here. We have not arrived. Jesus and Moses die, and they haven't arrived. That's weird. I don't like that. I don't want that to be true. So I want to think about Moses in particular. After all that Moses does, he ends up dying, 
and he never gets to cross the Jordan. He never gets to go into that land flowing with milk and honey. He doesn't get to do it. And that feels just totally unjust. That feels like something's wrong with that, right? And so what do we do when it feels like something just is wrong and unjust? We want to understand it. We want a reason, right? So do any of you know the reasons given? Because Jews disagree. I love this about like Jewish tradition. Uh, rabbis get to give their arguments. Like the Talmud is filled with like, this is what it means. No, that's not, this is, here's how you understand the story, right? And so there's a tradition that tries to explain this and they don't all explain it in the same way. So does anybody know any of the answers? Why doesn't Moses get to enter the promised land? It's a question that clearly the Israelites are asking. Oh, uh, yeah, yeah, the Ten Commandments are broken. This is more like less about the Bible and more like legend uh, uh, in the Talmud and others, but is it because he didn't handle them with enough care or is it, right? What? Didn't he take credit for uh, getting the stone in the water? He said, I'll give you water. Do you want water instead of saying God will give you water? Uh, so a, a, a lot of it is about this episode with the rock and the water and how the water comes about. So we'll talk about that one, yeah? Anyone? Okay. There's, I'm only going to talk about a couple of reasons. We're going to give a couple of reasons that people give. What, I just want you to feel if you were an Israelite and you had been with Moses and you loved Moses and Moses had made you feel safe, and Moses had got you through the Red Sea, and Moses had brought you like manna from heaven, and Moses came down from the law, and then suddenly, just when you're about to embark on this land that will give you stability, that will give you food, that will give you identity, Moses can't go. He dies. And they want to know why. There's this really human desire, this compulsion to know why, right? Okay, so the most popular is um, God asks Moses to speak to the rock, but Moses hits the rock with his staff. So I want to go to Numbers. So this is from the book of Numbers. We're going to read some scripture, so you'll just have to, like, pull again, pull out leg hair, do what you got to do. I understand it's only the Bible. <laughs> All right. So here it is. Now there was no water for the community, and they assembled against Moses and Aaron. And the people confronted Moses and said, If only we had died when our brothers perished in the Lord's presence. Why have you brought the Lord's assembly into the desert to kill us and our animals here? Why have you led us up from Egypt to bring us to this evil place without grain, figs, vines, pomegranates, right? Because they're in the desert. Next. Moses and Aaron went away from the assembly to the entrance of the meeting tent, and they fell on their faces and God's glory appeared to them. The Lord spoke to Moses, you and Aaron, your brother, take the staff and assemble the community in their presence. Tell the rock to provide water. You will produce water from the rock for them and allow the community and their animals to drink. Moses took the staff from the Lord's presence as the Lord had commanded. Moses and Aaron gathered the assembly before the rock. He said to them, listen, you rebels, should we produce water from the rock for you? Then Moses raised his hand and struck the rock with his staff twice, out flooded water so that the community and their animals could drink. So, oh, is there a next slide, Saul? Ah, the Lord said to Moses and Aaron, because you didn't trust me to show my holiness before the Israelites, you will not bring this assembly into the land that I am giving them. So, uh, 
it's because you struck the rock and you didn't trust me. You could have just spoke to it. Speaking to it would have showed them that I, the Lord, did it. But since you struck the rock to get the water, then it, they can believe that maybe it's you, Moses, instead. Right? Does this answer make sense? Do you think that's reasonable? This feels totally unreasonable. Like, you did all of this stuff for me, but when I said say something to the rock, you hit it. You don't get to go to the promised land. Really? That's, that's, that's reasonable? Here's, here's another, here, let me tell you why it's even more unreasonable. This is the book of Numbers. This same story in the book of Exodus, God tells Moses to hit it with the staff. So you have two different tellings in two different books, and one says speak to it, and the other says hit it. So we're, okay, Exodus. But the people were very thirsty for water, and they complained to Moses, why did you bring us out of Egypt to kill us? Our children and our livestock with thirst. Moses cried out to the Lord, what should I do with these people? They are getting ready to stone me. <laughs> Israel, a volatile bunch. Uh, the Lord said to Moses, go on ahead of the people and take some of the Israel's elders with you. Take in your hand the shepherd's rod that you used to strike the Nile River and go. I'll be standing there in front of you on the rock at Horeb. Hit the rock, water will come out of it, and the people will be able to drink. So uh, it doesn't feel like that's the real reason that Moses hit the rock instead of speaking to it, given that uh, we have an account that God said to hit it, right? Maybe it's because Moses took credit, although it feels odd that God wouldn't get credit for water coming out of a rock. Another popular answer uh, in, in Jewish tradition um, and in the Talmud and other things is that it was because Moses got really angry. Moses was so angry with them, and the anger disturbed God, and so God said, you're, you're not going to make the promised land, right? So I'll show you the scripture uh, that's often cited. We've already read it. I'm just going to show you the highlights, right? Um, he said to them, listen, you rebels. Sometimes it's like, you fools, you idiots. Uh, we're going to produce water from the rock for you. And this, this level of anger, the way in which Moses talks to the Israelites is why he doesn't get to go in the promised land. And again, I listen to that reason and I think, that doesn't make any sense at all. <laughs> um, not least of which, in Exodus 32, like, I don't know, Eight chapters later, listen to what God says about the Israelites. The Lord spoke to Moses, hurry up and go down. Your people whom you brought up out of Egypt are ruining everything. They've already abandoned the path that I commanded. They have made a metal bull calf for themselves. They've bowed down to it and offered sacrifices to it and declared, these are your gods, Israel, who brought you up out of the land of Egypt. Keep going. The Lord said to Moses, I've been watching these people and I've seen how stubborn they are. Now leave me alone. Let my fury burn and devour them. Then I'll make a great nation out of you. Oh man, that seems a lot madder than, his, than Moses was. Like God understands how crazy these people are. They, they'll drive someone nuts. <laughs> these Israelites are out of control. I mean, even the God of love and justice and patience and holiness can't take them anymore, right? It seems like if God is mad at Israel and they can drive God this crazy, surely God can't be that mad at Moses for getting angry. 
We desperately want some reason. We want some way to make sense of why Moses didn't get to go to the promised land. Because if I understand it, if I know why it happened, then suddenly I have control over it. The moment I understand it, I can control it. And when I can control it, I can ensure that it won't happen to me. And then I'm safe. Oh, God said speak to it, but Moses struck it. He didn't listen to God well enough. If I just listen to God well enough, nothing like that will ever happen to me. Oh, it was because God got too angry. That's why he didn't get to go to the promised land. As long as I can keep myself patient and free from anger, certainly nothing bad will happen to me. We want desperately, I want to live in a world that makes sense, that has clear reasons for why things happen, because once I can understand them, then I can avoid all pain, I can avoid all suffering. The moment something terrible happens to a woman, if I can say in my mind, if I can say, well, it happened because, I mean, she was wearing X, she, remember, she's pretty flirtatious. The moment I can say that, I can say, well, that'll never happen to me. Since I know why it happened to her, now I know it won't happen to me because I'm not like that. No, no tragedy will, will, will befall me now. The world makes sense again. But that's not the world we live in, is it? The world we live in doesn't have clear, simple answers because the world is messy and uncertain and scary, and I don't like it. And so the church for a very long time has given very simple answers to a very messy world, and it's not helpful. Things happen. Moses got old. Moses died. The end. That's it. People die. That's it. He was faithful. He had a good run. God was with him. He led Israel through Egypt. He just got old. And that's hard to accept because we want it to make sense and we want it to be fair and it's not. The key is, how do we learn how to live well in the messy world that's real, not the simple world that we desire? How do we learn how to live in the messy world where people literally are just crossing State Street and get hit by a car? You know what I want to say is he probably didn't look both ways. And as long as I know that's why it's his fault, then it'll never happen to me. But that's not real. If I, if I just could have understood why they broke up with me, if I just knew that, if I had a reason why they broke up, then I could keep it from ever happening in the future. If I could just understand why I got fired or laid off or lost my job, then I could control it. Nope. Things are going to happen, and life's difficult, and there's no way to avoid it. The issue is not to make sense of it. The issue is how do I live without answers? How do I live fully as a human in the uncertainty? Knowing that things come together and things fall apart. And I say that as, to mean like, like, oh my gosh, things are going so well. This or that's happening. We're on this great streak as a married couple or in my family or at my work. And things are great. And then over time, at some point, I'm going to find myself in like, we're fighting. And I don't like this job anymore. And right, that's the things come together and things fall apart. 
And Moses did wonderful things, and then Moses died. And what are we going to do about it? I mean, how do we live in a world where Moses, of all people, can't get to the promised land? Cole, do you have a question? Hmm. <laughs> he said, when things like that happen in life, the only thing you can learn to do is just deal with it. <laughs> Why don't you get up here and preach? If you're so, I mean, you, know, you seem to have it. That's a great answer. So, so how do we deal with it? I, I'm, I'm giving you one way we deal with it that's not healthy. Let's try to explain it. Let's get a grasp on it. I can manage it. Don't, that's not helpful. And it's not true. And it's not real. All the answers they give for why Moses didn't get to the promised land are silly. We look at them now and we, th we laugh. We're like, that doesn't, no. So how do we live in a world where Moses doesn't make it to the promised land? How do we live in a world where Joe Bankard steps down from being pastor at Collister when things are going so good? How do we live in a world where my colleague Wendell Bose, he taught Old Testament when I got hired at NNU. He slipped this, this week and hit his head, and they thought he was fine. They went to the hospital just in case, and then he wasn't fine. How do you, how do you live in that world? Okay, here's how I think you live in. So Buddhism has a, a, a wisdom, a piece of wisdom, and it's called avoid the second arrow. The first arrow is unavoidable. Avoid the second arrow. This is what it means. I shot a first arrow at all of you, and you could do nothing about it. I said, I'm leaving in July. That's a first arrow. It's painful. Oh, why do you have to screw everything up, Joe? <laughs> the first amen, preach it. But that's the first arrow. You can't avoid it. The first arrow is like, I can't drive at night anymore. It's not safe. The first arrow is she broke up with me. The first arrow is, you know, my mom doesn't understand me. You can't avoid first arrows. But here's the problem. First arrows often lead us to do things that end up having second arrows shot at us. Right? The second arrow is, Oh my gosh, Wendell Bose slipped and fell and hit his head. I'm not going outside. And you get to isolate. That's the second arrow. It's way worse. Oh my gosh, Joe's leaving. What are we supposed to do? I'm not going back to Collister. I'll just, I'll just start over somewhere else. That's the second arrow. I'll shut down emotionally. She broke up with me. I'm going to be cruel to her. That's the second arrow. And you get to avoid every second arrow. Now, we're not going to, but we have some say. How do I respond to the first arrow? Well, I'm not going to close up. I'm going to stay open. I'm going to love. I'm going to turn towards God. I'm going to turn towards each other. Moses can't make it. What are we going to do? We're going to look to Joshua. We're going to rally around the next person. And we're going to get to the promised land. We're not going to scatter. We're not going to run around in fear. To avoid the second arrows of life is to just let yourself feel all of the stuff and know that you don't have to do what it's telling you to do. That's how you avoid the second arrow. 
You can be sad and mad and scared and jealous and totally filled with anxiety, and you just don't have to do what the fear tells you to do. And you don't have to do what your anger tells you to do, and you don't have to do with what your insecurity tells you to do. You just get to feel it and then let let it go. You get to be the sky, and all that stuff gets to be the clouds. And by doing that means you get to recommit, and you get to double down when it comes to love, when it comes to relationship, when it comes to connection, when it comes to faith, when it comes to courage. And by doing that, all those second arrows whiz by, and you don't get struck by one. So that's my challenge, right? How do we live in a world where things happen and there aren't good reasons for it? Don't let the first arrow cause you to get struck by the second. Handle those with a sense of patience with yourself and with grace for yourself and with compassion for yourself because you don't have to do what your first arrows tell you you should do. Amen? Amen? Let's pray. Lord, I hate living in a world that doesn't make sense to me. I hate it. I hate that things happen and there's no good reason for them happening. I hate that the world isn't more just, that it just doesn't have answers for my questions. It just doesn't. And that makes me desperately want to distract and to numb and to disconnect and to isolate And to do all the things that will hurt me in the long run. That will shoot all those second arrows at me. So our prayer is that you might give us wisdom and love and compassion. So that we can feel those first arrows all the way. But we don't have to respond. Amen. Please stand for our closing song. I have a heart full of questions Quieting all my suggestions What is the meaning of Christian In this American life? I'm feeling awfully foolish Spending my life on a message I look around and I wonder Ever if I heard it right Coming to you cause I'm confused Coming to you cause I feel used Coming to weep while I'm waiting Tell me you won't make me go I need to know there is justice That it will roll in abundance And that you're building a city where we arrive as immigrants and you call us citizens and welcome us as children home you were alone and rejected misunderstood and detested you gave it all didn't hold back you even gave up your life how can we call ourselves christians Saying that love is a tension between the call of the cross and between the old party line. Coming to you for the mothers who are all running for cover. There 
is a flood from their weeping. Tell me you won't make them go. I need to know there is justice, that it will roll in abundance, and that you're building a city where we arrive as immigrants. And you call us citizens and welcome us as children home. There is a man with a family. He has a wife and a baby. He broke the law just to save them, working for three bucks an hour. Truly you said we were equal. Everyone's heart is deceitful. Nobody born is illegal when love is the law of the land. Coming to you for the hungry, eating the scraps of this country. Didn't you swear you would feed them? Tell me you won't make them go. I need to know there is justice, that it will roll in abundance, and that you're building a city where we arrive as immigrants, and you call us citizens and welcome us as children home. There is a wolf, he's ranting, all of the sheep, they are clapping, promising power and protection, claiming the Christ who was killed. Killed by a common consensus, everyone screaming Barabbas, trading their God for a hero, forfeiting heaven for Rome. Coming to you cause I'm angry, coming to you cause I'm guilty, coming to you cause you promised to leave the flock for the one. I need to know there is justice, that it will roll in abundance, and that you're building a city where we arrive as immigrants, and you call us citizens and welcome us as children home. Where we arrive as immigrants, and you call us citizens and welcome us as children home. Is there a way to love always? Living in enemy hallways. Don't know my foes from my friends and don't know my friends anymore. Power has several prizes. Handcuffs can come in all sizes. Love has a million disguises, but winning is simply not one.